most of the people that I work with, when I ask them these questions about, okay, like, what are some of the triggers and what, what's happening for you emotionally before you turn to this? And what are you trying to get away from or numb out or escape? They'll often say it's their own sense of inadequacy. Welcome to Permission for Pleasure. I'm Cindy Sharkey, your host, and you're joining me for part two of my conversation with therapist Sam Tielemans about pornography. So if you find yourself here and you haven't listened to part one, I encourage you to go back there and listen first to have a little more context for part two of this conversation, which focuses mostly on helping couples who are dealing with unhealthy usage of porn in their relationship. I'm glad you're here. Let's jump back in. You know, some of what you mentioned earlier as we were chatting about the partner who finds out, you know, their partners, you know, using porn in an unhealthy way or just didn't even know they were using pornography, you know, at the level they were and the feelings that come up for them of mistrust and the disruption of the bond, the feelings that you described about I'm not enough or the sex we're having isn't enough it or our intimacy isn't what you want. I, I, you know, I'm just trying to think of all these things. And then what I hear from women that I meet with is they feel all those things, but they don't want to share or talk about it with anyone. So, so often they're dealing with this in isolation and it's so hard to feel all those things and not have any perspective outside of the swirling thoughts in our heads. I mean, obviously they come to you eventually, right? And you're, you're a therapist, but so often they live with this, you know, conflict and issue in the relationship, just alone in it for a long time. Yes, absolutely. And that's one of the hardest things is that when a spouse or a partner is carrying the weight of all of this, like I said earlier, our, our brain is wired to expect that we are going to be connected to somebody else. And so when this primary relationship breaks down, it's like now you're dealing with two problems. Number one, there's this deceit and betrayal and dishonesty and the hurt that's there. Now she's dealing with it alone in many, many cases in the beginning. It becomes completely overwhelming. And so this is a part of where, again, reaching out, establishing these connections, having relationships with people that you can trust and you can open up to and process this with and if somebody says, well, I don't have any friends, I don't want to talk to my friends and my family, that's fine. You don't have to, but finding some type of help is going to be critical because navigating this alone, we're not, we're not meant to do that. It's too much. It's too heavy. So finding people that you can trust who aren't going to judge you for whatever you decide. Uh, and again, if you don't have any people who are in your inner circle that you feel like you can share, seeking out some professional help. I know there's lots of groups that are available too. And even just like by virtue of sharing, it, it relieves a burden that you're carrying, even if the other person doesn't have all the answers, just by having somebody you can go through this with and talk about this stuff and sort through what's going out mentally and emotionally. Far too many people do this by themselves for a long time when it really isn't necessary. Well, and it's really hard to have healing and hope when you're alone in it. I'm thinking back to what you said, which is it's, it's basically trauma. And so when we think of it in this in this way, we would not expect somebody to 
go through a trauma and then cope and deal with and try to sort it out alone. Right. That's such an important message to really emphasize. I agree with you because if people think in the beginning, most people start off feeling like they are completely alone. And in many cases they are because they're not opening up and they're not talking to people. They don't feel comfortable talking about it. There's a lot of shame attached to this. And even if the, let's say the wife, again, for simplicity's sake, I know it happens both ways, right? If the wife or the the partner is struggling by herself and she's feeling the weight of all this, she thinks to herself, I'm alone. I can't tell anybody. They're going to judge me. They're going to think maybe there is something wrong with me. They're going to tell me it's not that big of a deal because I'll work with women where they're told these things like, why are you upset about this? This is just what men do. It's not that big of a deal. Uh, This shouldn't be so bothersome to you completely invalidates how they feel. And so finding people who understand who will support you and help you work through this is so important because again, it's just, it's too much to deal with by yourself. Yeah. So let's get practical because this is what you specialize in, right? Sam is, is practical ways for couples to navigate this situation when it comes up. And I know you have a heart to help people restore the relationships and to, you know, create a foundation again, right? To move on and improve their sex life again and, and relationships. So perhaps you might share a couple practical ways for people listening to just get started if this is a concern in their relationship or just if there's a concern for themselves, just personally. So a couple of things to consider. Uh, let's maybe start with the relationship part of it as well. Because like you mentioned, like this, this affects somebody's emotional connection. It affects their physical connection and intimacy. So when somebody feels betrayed, often the last thing that they want to do is be intimate, especially in this way. So it definitely affects their, their ability to have a, a, a positive sexual relationship. And so in order to heal the damage that was done, one of the first things that's so important is for people to get an understanding about how and why it happened. Because if a, if a partner doesn't understand why her husband or spouse or partner is struggling with this behavior, it's very easy for her to take it personally. Like we mentioned earlier, she'll say, I'm not enough. There's lots of insecurities that are there that are either already there or are, and are made worse or that they are created, right? It's like, I, I feel good about myself. And now I learned that he's looking at this stuff. Now I'm, I don't feel so good about myself anymore. We need to make sense of it in a, in a, in a productive and empowering way. So instead of her walking around thinking like this is all her fault and she's not enough, it's so important to better understand why he turned to it. That's critical because we want to challenge these negative stories of it being her and her inadequacies because number one, they're not true. But number two, once you can identify why he's struggling and what he's dealing with underneath the surface and why he's turning to this as a way to cope, then he can break that old pattern by dealing with what's happening for him on the inside. So uh, maybe I'll share with you an example just to kind of illustrate this. Most of the people that I work with, when I ask them these questions about, okay, like what are some of the triggers and what's happening for you emotionally before you turn to this? And what are you trying to get away from or numb out or escape? They'll often say it's their own sense of inadequacy. These beliefs about themselves of like, I just, I I have low self-worth. I don't feel very good about myself. I feel like I'm a failure. Work is overwhelming. I feel all this pressure there and I don't feel like I'm doing a very good job and I just feel inadequate. And so because I feel so bad, I just, I, you know, I just zone out because I don't want to think about all the areas in which I'm failing or I get into a fight with my wife and we're arguing. And then I just basically hear in the back of my mind that I'm a bad husband 
and she's not happy with me and I feel lonely. I feel disconnected from her. And then I just like, I, I go and disconnect even further by numbing out in this way. Just to summarize all of this is to understand why it's happening to then put in place the tools and the approach necessary to resolve that thing. So if a spouse, if a, if a couple, they're arguing back and forth and that's a big trigger for him and then he feels inadequate, a big important part of the process is helping them learn how to communicate in a way that's healthy and to be able to find that connection with each other so that then the porn isn't even a thing for him anymore. He won't even, there's no temptation because he doesn't have to escape anything because he's learning how to turn to a spouse with his pain, with his inadequacies, getting support from her and vice versa. It creates this connection that fills the void that so often he's trying to escape. So finding out what's going on, putting things in place to address that. And then the the last part that we can maybe touch on right now is the trust, because she's not going to believe that he's, you know, if he's like, hey, we're having conversations about this now, I'm feeling a whole lot better. She's going to still think like, well, how do I know that? You lied to me about this for the last 10 years. How do I trust you now? So the third part of it is just rebuilding the trust. And that's through experience. That's through time, of course. More specifically, the more couples can connect on a deeper level, this feeling of connection is a precursor to trust. And so often the husbands don't know really how to connect with their spouse or, or partner if they're dating. They don't know how to deeply connect for a sustained period of time. They have moments of connection, but then it kind of feels like there's this wall between them. And so often because they're just compartmentalizing, they feel bad on the inside. They don't know how to turn to their partner and let them in. So the third part of it in terms of rebuilding trust is helping them learn how to have these deeper connections, which helps her to feel more secure. The relationship becomes stronger. When she's feeling better and feeling like things are different, then she can start to more easily open up. Then she can start to make the decision to trust because trust ultimately is a decision. But I would never encourage a spouse or a partner who's been hurt to just like, okay, you heard him say he's sorry and he said he's not going to do it anymore. Okay, go ahead and trust him again. I would never encourage somebody to do that until there's evidence. We want it to look and feel differently so she can bring the wall down in proportion to how safe she feels. Wait, say that again. Say that again. The wall is there for good reason. And I would never encourage her to just blindly trust again. So I always encourage the partner to bring the wall down in proportion to how safe she feels. And that safety happens largely through these types of conversations where you're connecting, sharing vulnerably, seeing another side of him. It feels like she's being let in now, finally. And that's, again, how safety is created, which helps her to ultimately start to trust again. On the highest level, those are kind of the overview. We've got to solve why this is happening, develop these deeper bonds through conversation and sharing, then rebuilding trust. It's just that exercise of continuing to have those talks, seeing him interact differently, process how he's feeling differently. So she gets the evidence that she needs to then make that decision to keep opening up. That sounds like a a good high level description of the hope that there is in, in the practical ways that you can move through this. I did have you repeat that area of safety because I feel like there, this expectation on a sometimes a therapist part, if it ends up being a therapist that's not the right fit for them or their partner's part to expect some kind of jump over the safety piece with no evidence. And so 
that's why I wanted to zero in on that because I think that's huge and absolutely comes into play in these situations of there has to be evidence for you to be able to trust and you don't lower your your wall until you feel safe if you're out of your window of tolerance then you know you have to wait till there's evidence for you to feel safe and secure again i'm just reiterating what you said but in different words because it is it is a huge key just huge I'm obsessed with going to these trainings and conferences and workshops. So I love doing that stuff. I went to one a couple of weeks ago and he said something that struck me. He said that we cannot change unless we feel secure. So you can't ask somebody to risk and change and do something different in a fight or flight mode. It's almost like if you get thrown out of a boat and you don't know how to swim, you're not going to learn how to swim while you're drowning. So the relationships are no different. If you're in trauma, and you're struggling, you have no trust, you'd feel like no sense of closeness, your whole world is being redefined. It's very hard to describe the effect that it has. When I hear women describe the effect that it has on their their mental and emotional stability, it's like it's heart-wrenching to hear them describe the pain that they go through when there's this break in the bond of the relationship. It's devastating. So when she's feeling that sense of devastation and utter aloneness and not feeling like she can open up and trust anybody now because the person that she was supposed to rely on was doing things that undermine that trust. She's not going to be able to do a whole lot other than just try to find some stability. And so often it's like these basic things of just focusing on your your own well-being of eating and sleeping and exercise and trying to ground yourself. You can't really change the relationship when somebody's in that state. So you have to create that safety first. And those are a couple of the ways to do that, like we mentioned. But yeah, just kind of echoing what you're saying. If, if that's not there, there, there there's not going to be any possibility of change because the brain just doesn't work like that. Fight or flight, we're, we're moving, we're in action for protection. We can't become more loving and open and intimate and connected when we're terrified, and when we're, we're protecting ourselves. So we have to create that safety. Then all these other things follow as a result of that. Yeah, let's zero in on that idea of a couple's sex life in in relation to this trauma. So initially, for so many women, the wall goes up in all areas of their life. And the answer, again, this is why if there are many therapists out there who are not trained, they're well-intentioned, but just not trained, and they don't understand these underpinnings of why somebody struggles. So if they think, okay, well, if husband is looking at porn, well, why don't you guys have sex more? Like that's the worst possible advice that a wife could get. And it happens like far too often. Again, well-intentioned, but if you don't understand, that furthers the damage. So the walls go up, again, for good reason. And so in these earlier stages of building, it's everything outside of the bedroom first. You're creating safety. You're creating these connections. You're healing the damage. That naturally opens the door for growth and reconnection intimately. One of the biggest challenges that I find when I'm working with couples with regard to sexuality is so often sex becomes a source of pain because it reminds them of what their partner was involved in. So it's triggering. They'll think to themselves, I don't look like what he has been watching. I don't measure up these airbrushed actors, right? Like I, I'm not that, how could he be happy with me? And when you're in your head like that, like, as you know, right, that's that you can't have a good experience when you're stuck in your head, 
with your insecurities and fears, which are understandably there. And so working through these triggers is going to be such an important piece. Uh, again, there's so many different layers to this. If I could get, highlight one of them, the main insecurity that's created is the fear of not being enough. It's the fear that he wants somebody else and not me. Knowing that, and again, this is where conversations all along the way are important because the goal of healing, the way to repair the relationship is to ultimately heal and resolve and reassure the insecurity and fears that are there. So if she's afraid I'm not enough, what she needs to hear is that she is enough, that she does matter to him. It will mean more when he's discovered why he's turned to it. Because if he's like, no, you're enough. She's like, no, I don't believe that. But if he can say, no, you really are. And I've discovered that I turned to this other stuff because this, this, and this. It has nothing to do with you. I noticed in myself that this, this, and this. It helps to reshape how she sees the situation, which is key. And so in terms of healing the sexual relationship, it's, it's similar to how you rep repair other areas of the relationship. But you're basically trying to target where the damage is done the insecurities and the fears, and then providing comfort and understanding and validation and support in those areas specifically. And so talking about the trigger and what it brings up, well, I just, I'm scared that I don't compare with what you've been looking at. And that just makes me feel like I'm not enough. That would be an ideal type of share so that he can then respond in a way that meets her there and that he can understand and validate and support her Multiple conversations are the key to ultimately having those fears dissolve. Again, there are so many layers of things that can get stuck, right? If she shares, I'm not enough, he might try to minimize it or misunderstand, or he'll go into his shame and feel bad about what he's done, all of which just leaves her alone. So on the highest level, when we're triggered, understanding where the damage is done and then getting support on that level helps them heal so that their sexual relationship can also improve because it's not being blocked by all these fears and concerns and people getting stuck in those thoughts. Yes, it's very complicated. I think I want to say out loud that it's often a longer, multiple conversations journey. This is not a one-time, have a conversation and it's all going to be fixed. And I think I want to say that out loud because I, after working with women on this issue, it, it takes time, just like any trauma, right? And then all these things need to be worked through, like you're talking about, outside of the sexual relationship. And that almost comes after the wall of safety is lower, you know, and, and they're, they're safe so you can lower your wall so I appreciate you saying, you know, just have more sex or have different sex or that's not even what it's about. It's a, it's a terrible thing to say. And so I think it's important to reiterate that healing is always a journey. And if both partners are, are willing to work towards healing, you see the result of that in your practice. This is what you do all the time. And it can be done. Absolutely. And I want to, yeah, and I'm, I'm so glad that you're bringing this up because it really is a journey, which is fine. There doesn't have to be a timeline to it. That's, that's how it is in life, in any area of life. This is no different. So having the same conversation over and over again where she shares, I'm scared. Hey, do I matter to you? Hey, am I important to you? Am I enough to you? He might answer that. And the next day, she might need that reassurance again. And he'll be like, I just, what do you mean? Like, I just told this to you yesterday. Like, well, of course you are. And get frustrated when really it's, 
you're speaking to the heart, not the head. It's not an intellectual like, oh, I heard it once, I get it now. It's we need lots of reassurance because that's how we work emotionally. And so when people are willing to do this work together, 100% people can heal. Like it's not even like, oh, like, you know, maybe you'll have a shot. Like you can 100% heal if you just go through the process. You go through the steps if both people are willing. If both people are willing. Yeah, that's... It's, that's Yeah, you can't do it by yourself. If she's committed, but he's not, and vice versa, you can't heal the relationship. You can still heal individually. So let's say a spouse, after so many, many, many years and try conversations and pleads, and as much as she's tried to help her husband understand that this doesn't work for her and it's hurting her, if she reaches the point of like, I can't do this anymore, and they decide to separate, she can still heal individually. He can still get help when he's ready. But in terms of the relationship piece of it, if they're both wanting the outcome of let's rebuild trust, I love you still, this is terribly painful, but I care about you. I want to work through this. 100% people can resolve this and move past it. It doesn't have to follow them around forever. Again, I, I work with people who uh, it's all on a spectrum, right? There's like usage, then unhealthy usage of porn, then compulsion, then addiction, right? There's this long, big, long spectrum. So often people slap this label of addiction on far too generously. It's like, oh, he struggles with this and he watches this occasionally. Oh, he must be an addict, right? And then it's like puts a stamp on him and it's like the glass ceiling of, well, if you're an addict, once an addict, always an addict, and you're going to struggle with this forever and your relationship is going to have to suffer forever. There's a lot of misinformation out there that really doesn't, it undermines people making progress. And so to understand wherever somebody is on the continuum, and truly most people aren't even like in the addiction category, it is just unhealthy usage for most people. This isn't something that has to follow you around forever. There 100% is hope. I love being able to see people change and make progress and truly heal because I can see how much they care about each other. They've just been caught in this web and all of the hurt and not knowing how to have these conversations, just like what you're saying. So once people get some direction and guidance to do that, everything can change. It's, 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 it's such a hopeful thing to see for people. Well, that's a beautiful way to wrap up our conversation. That's really the tip of the iceberg. We, we know that, Sam and I, but I hope that you heard something that's helpful. And also that if you're struggling in this way, either yourself, it's like you're not, you're not happy with your usage of porn. It doesn't feel good to you or you feel like it has control over you or it's, it's just drawing you in in a way that you don't want to be. Or you have a partner that, that that's happening with or you just found out so many different scenarios. I guess what I want to say is that I care about this issue for you and there are resources out there. And Sam's given just a hopeful wrap up to our episode here that there is healing work will need to be done, but there is hope and healing. And I, that's, I think that's a perfect way to end this because people feel utter despair oftentimes, especially in the early stages, because they feel like they're doing this by themselves. They don't know where to turn. They don't know how to find help. They don't have any examples of what it looks like afterwards that people can actually heal. So yeah, just knowing there are resources, there is help there. There is hope. You don't have to do this alone and, and being able to get plugged into those resources can help you get some direction to know how to move forward. Yeah. So Sam, please share how people can find you and, and your work in the world. Sure. Yeah. So I, uh, 
probably the best place to find me. I've got a website called coupleshealing.org. Uh, and I also have a podcast, Couples Healing from Pornography Addiction. I like to talk more like tactically and talk through situations and give people tools and specific action items. And so the podcast is just every episode is like, when this comes up, here's how you handle this and consider this. And here's how you can approach this. So those are just a couple of resources in case people need some extra help knowing how to navigate through this difficult situation. That's good to hear. Um, this podcast, we like to share, have our guests share just something that delights you day to day, something that brings you pleasure, that makes you stop and notice and pay attention. Would you share something you feel a delight about, Sam? Yeah, of course. So for me, I'm a, I'm a spiritual person and my faith has been a, just an integral part of my life. And so the more and more that I spend time reading, whether it's scriptures, the Bible or praying or even just like being in nature, just walking around, the weather's so nice out here right now in this time of year it just helps me to feel so much more fulfilled. And I just do feel a sense of excitement as I'm trying to tune my frequency to something greater than myself. And so I just, yeah, I've been really thinking about that the last six months and that's really brought me a lot of fulfillment. Tuning in. I love that idea. That's beautiful. Thanks for sharing that. And thanks for being with us, Sam. You're very welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate the work that you're doing. So it's great to be here. Oh, thank you. And listeners, Let's just keep opening these difficult conversations. I think you've heard me say more than once, when we talk about the things that matter, when we talk about the harder things, when we talk about the good things, when we share our delights, our joys, all of it, that is the journey towards giving ourselves more permission for pleasure. Pleasure.